We are recording a new intro because we recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago uh, and we thought that it would be remiss to not address what's been going on. Yeah, we just wanted to make sure that we gave that some space before we jump into our little movie review. Yeah, definitely. Let's, yeah, let's chat a little, I suppose. Yeah. Um, there have been so many protests across the country. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing that everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people decided, um, even though we're in a global pandemic, like, and there's so much going on right now that we all just need to go and do this and protest, but also donate. And I've been really happy to see and also been doing work myself to like unlearn and to just listen, right. And to like educate myself more properly. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really amazing to see. Yeah. I've also been trying to do as much like educational work as possible right now. And, you know, watching a lot of stuff on Netflix and listening to podcasts and reading books just to like really unlearn all the behavior that, you know, has been instilled in me throughout, you know, being on this earth and like having conversations. What I've also been doing is like learning more about Canadian history because I don't know like anything about it and just learning about, you know, the history of racism here, which has been like really illuminating. Yeah, I had a couple of conversations I didn't expect to have like with my parents and other adults. And it really is interesting to understand someone's perspective especially someone older who believes that like their reliance on the cops is like justified or like you know that they're necessary even though like in these conversations we would be chatting and we would be like okay who's the first responder in an emergency like a car crash something it's like the emt you know the first responder Mm -hmm. for like medical services and stuff um so yeah, I don't even think personally, despite maybe never having liked cops or I knew that police brutality was an issue. Like I never really imagined or thought about what a community or a country would be like without them. Like I didn't really think that was like in the realm of possibility, but I was wrong. Yeah. And I think like, you know, worldwide, they always instill when you're a kid, like if something weird is happening if you feel unsafe find a police officer and like ever since you're a kid um if you're not black or like i can't speak to like the experiences of all people of color but at least like being white there all your parents and teachers are like yeah find a police officer that's someone that you can trust but like that's not the case yeah i definitely agree it's been really eye-opening and interesting to read about all of the research behind like what a society without police would look like and that it is possible, even though it seems so like revolutionary and radical to a lot of people. Like it's definitely what we're moving towards. And I think what we should be moving towards. And the protests in Minneapolis also had a huge impact on, it was like the city council board, I believe. I'm going to check on this tab because I want to make sure I'm saying this correctly. Yeah. The Minneapolis City Council um, voted this past Sunday to commit to dismantling and defunding um, the police in the city of Minneapolis um, and 
what I read is like that they're trying to listen to communities of color and black communities to really understand what resources they need listening to community for what they need how revolutionary right it's like what you're supposed to be doing from the beginning Mm -hmm. but yeah to really provide them like the responders that are necessary for the situation so like they were talking about how a lot of the calls that get forwarded to the police are mostly for like mental health and health resources um emt and fire services so the cops aren't even really needed like for those instances you would need trained counselors and like mental health professionals yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna include the the link to this article in our bios if you'd like to read on it further i mean we encourage everybody to you know be doing research and learning in this time yeah just exactly what christina said like we both urge everyone to continue um doing the work that they're doing and we're going to hold ourselves accountable for that as well. Quarantine has been a real, real awful time, but it <laughs> enabled a lot of people to have um, a lot of time to dedicate to what's going on right now. And because of that, you know, we have the ability to do a lot of work that we wouldn't otherwise be able to. Yeah. And it's it's all about like figuring out what is the best way for you to show your support, whether it's with going to a protest or donating money or getting involved in volunteer programs. Like there's so many different ways to help in the bio for this episode. We also have a link to Google doc that has like tons of information on protests, places to donate Mm -hmm. petitions, black owned businesses that you can support educational resources. So highly recommend checking that out. If you're looking for any guidance at all on how to help. Before we jump into today's episode, um, you'll hear us talk about it a little bit later on, but we had a myriad of technical difficulties. So many. And Mo actually had to get a different mic. So the mic you've been hearing her on now is different than the one that's used for the bulk of the episode. And for the last 15 minutes, she's on her new mic. So I'll put just a little musical transition in between to gently lead you into it so you're not thrown when you're listening. My new mic is cool. Yeah, she's a beauty. Yeah, she's fancy. Um, She doesn't Mm. pick up sound that's happening, you know, 20, 40 feet away. (laughs) We don't want an episode. (laughs) Yeah. We're, you know, we're amateurs and we're learning all about sound editing and stuff. So we actually did better research on which mics you get. (laughs) Yeah. We were like, I'll invest. Honestly, though, this the shitty part is that this mic wasn't that much more expensive yeah. than the one that I got. It was like $20 more expensive, which I guess is like, you know, a jump. But mm-hmm. um, this one won't ruin literally every track we make and like test test our willingness to like be alive. Yeah. yeah. And you won't sound like you've been recorded through a megaphone or anything weird anymore. <laughs> so that's good. But yeah, so just just so you know, that's what's going on sound-wise. And now we can jump right in. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, welcome back to Movies That Raised Us. We are Christina and Mo. This is our fifth. Is it the fourth? Fourth? The fourth time recording this 
freaking podcast, okay? This is all for you. We've been strug- We've been hardcore struggling with this episode. It's like nightmare fuel. We had a bunch of sound issues. My family room is haunted. That's been confirmed. Yeah, there was some like very haunting, staticky hum in Mo's recording, and it was simply just not usable. God awful. Like I was like, oh, what static? Like I didn't, I didn't hear anything when we were recording. So I played it back, and it is demonic. This is the glitch. My vocals go into Latin, and I'm clearly <laughs> possessed by a devil. The octave of my voice just substantial decreases. Maybe I'll put like a little sample of it in this episode and I'll just turn the volume way down so we don't absolutely terrify our listeners. But if it's not in here, it's because it's simply too terrifying. Yes. Not fit for human consumption. But we are here. We're doing a a nice little late night recording. Ooh. We got some like smooth jazz vibes to our voices. It's that late night talk. We're both sipping on tea except we can't do anything while we record this, so we are actually just watching the tea. We're watching our tea turn cold as we don't drink it. (laughs) But on that note, let's get started on today's movie. So the movie we're going to be talking about today is the 1999 classic, 10 Things I Hate About You. We got a little Julia Stiles, a little Heath Ledger, rest in peace. We got a little JGL, Larissa Olenek? How do you say Olen- Olenek? I think it's Olenek. Yeah. We got some Gabrielle Union, some David Crumholtz. Like, this cast is stacked. Oh, definitely. It's wild. It's like um, like a movie version of Freaks and Geeks. It definitely has a very similar vibe. I mean, it is. it was like late 90s, so mm-hmm. that, that tracks. But I guess the first time I watched this movie, I was a freshman in high school, and it like very quickly became one of my favorites. I would like quote it all the time. Like me and my really good friend really loved this movie. And um, when I was in 10th grade in my drama class, we had a project where we had to do like a Shakespeare adaptation Mm -hmm. for the class. And this movie is based on Taming of the Shrew. And my friend and I didn't want to like read a Shakespeare play. And we love this movie so much that we literally just did the plot of this movie as our performance. And I remember that I played Bianca And we use like the actual recording of Heath Ledger singing um, Can't Take My Eyes Off You in the performance. And honestly, I think it was probably one of my best performances in drama class in high school. I love that. I love the the convention, the device, if you will, of creating a project that is like a little bit unorthodox so that you get Mm -hmm. out of doing a lot of work because they're like, oh my God, that was so creative of you. Little do they know that it came from a studio with a lot of funding and like a lot of people worked on it for many, many years before it hit the the black box theater of my international school in Singapore. But I think that was what it was all for at the end of the day. Definitely. That's why they made this movie for moments like that. Exactly. We're going to, we're going to dip into the cast. We're going to dip a toe in, if you will. I want to talk about JGL, a little Joseph Gordon-Levitt action. I had a huge crush on him when I was, like, in high school. And it's really insane to me because now I'm, like, sure he's attractive, but I don't, like, I don't care about him at all. Not a (laughs) single bit. But I think I really started to love him when he was in Don John. I just thought that movie was, like, incredible. Um, It was super, like, steamy. How do we transition this is the transition. Can you put in that like swoosh noise? Like if I'm like, how do we transition? Yeah, I could do that. Or like an ocean wave. Say, say, how do we transition? How do we transition? 
I love that. Okay. We just want to trail into your heads, viewers. That sounds aggressive. I'm sorry, but we need <laughs> you to know that this is a convoluted ensemble-ass movie. I'm going to tell you about the scenery. We're going to tell you about the characters, and we're going to go into the summary. But if you want to pay attention to what's going on, like if you want to come out on the other side, I'm going to need you to be all ears. So, location of the film. A beautiful castle-esque campus with absolutely just an extremely gigantic and we find out later historic football stadium. We looked up the stadium and past presidents spoke there like Woodrow Wilson, Theodore Roosevelt, Harding spoke there. It's just an absolutely massive football field where a lot of the action takes place. The movie takes place in Washington. We see the Space Needle in one of the shots. The school itself is in Tacoma, Washington. And you wonder, you wonder how many days it took them to film this. How many days it was raining. Just complete rain in Washington. Yeah, they also, they shot this film entirely on location. They didn't build any sets. It was all just like already found locations. And apparently the house that they used for the Stratford house was sold recently for like over a million dollars. Wow. Their house is gigantic. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, this movie is based on The Timmy of the Shrew by William Shakespeare. And it is a convoluted ass plot because it kind of has two plots that like run side by side and intertwine. I'm just going to give you like a real quick and dirty summary. So one plot line is where a man named Petruchio marries a difficult and unruly woman named Katerina. He like takes her back to his house, not consensually, and starves her, like deprives her of sleep until she is basically brainwashed into agreeing with everything that he says and becomes the ideal obedient wife. And then the other plot line that runs alongside it is um, two suitors who are vying for her sister, Bianca, because they want to marry her. And um, in the end, like all the men compete to see who has the most obedient wife. And Katerina gives this like long monologue about how women shouldn't think for themselves and like their only purpose is to be there for a man and um, have no independence. So... You just, you love to see it. You love to see a woman brainwashed. Yeah, luckily for us, though, the movie takes a very different turn on this plot, so we don't have to watch that. Fully. Yeah, but it just, I guess it just makes you realize that, like, every English teacher that you've ever had has told you, Shakespeare remains timeless, and we're going to be seeing his stuff forever and ever. Even when we're all robots, we'll be seeing his stuff. I was trying to think of like a good pun of like like robot and Juliet, but it just it needs workshopping. Oh, like robotio and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. That's sad that I said robotio. Anyways. <laughs> okay. Shall we dive right in? Yes. Our opening scene. Classic little high school parking lot people are driving into school we have the song one week changing into bad reputation by joan jett a little contrast shoot to inside the guidance counselor's office allison janning is the guidance counselor and she is writing a raunchy erotic novel we look across the table to cameron a new kid in school very sweet 
very dorky. You can tell he's just like the guy that you unassumingly fall in love with. Like that's his persona. He is glowing with the um, what will one day be like a sex symbol in America. But right now he's innocent enough that his dimples mean something. In the words of Harry Styles, he doesn't know he's beautiful. And that's what makes him beautiful. Yes. He's a key player in our ensemble movie. And he orchestrates a lot of the shenanigans. Then we're introduced to Michael. Michael acts like he's 40. Um, He's very nerdy, friendly. He does a lot of comedic relief, like stupid classic comedic relief that you think like if it happened in real life, there would be like an ambulance there. (laughs) And he gives a the quintessential click rundown a la um, Mean Girls. Yeah, he's got some big like Janice Ian vibes, but if Janice Ian was a high schooler that thought he was a 40-year-old man. Mm-hmm. And wore polos. Yeah. Um. So Cameron sees Bianca for the first time, and she is walking with her best friend, Chastity. And the first thing that he says when he sees her is, I burn, I pine, I perish, which is a direct quote from Timmy of the Shrew. So this is our introduction to Bianca. She is popular. She's a sophomore. She's beautiful, really put together, but she's also perceived as vapid. And the first bit of dialogue that we hear her say is, there's a difference between like and love because I like my Skechers, but I love my Prada backpack. And it's also a well-known fact amongst the school that her and her sister are not allowed to date. Totally. After Bianca, we meet Kat. We're in her English class, and she is a textbook, quote-unquote, angry feminist. She is blunt, you know, a difficult woman, kind of reminiscent of the character. It's a little callback that Christina was describing in the summary of Taming of the Shrew. She wants more feminist literature in their English class, like Sylvia Plath, and hit me with another female author. Like any female author? Like Jane Austen? Yeah. Hell yeah. She wants some Sylvia Plath, the Jane Austen action. And her English teacher, who he's really not a key character, but I enjoy thoroughly, says, thank you for your point of view. It must be difficult to overcome all these years of upper middle class suburban oppression. And he really plays like a foil throughout. Whenever something happens in his class, he kind of um, gets like the, the kids back down to earth, I would say. He's like, Are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? Oh, yeah. And so he sends her to the office. Yeah. So Kat's in the guidance counselor's office. Allison is continuing to write her erotica. And she basically just encourages Kat to be more palatable and polite and basically just be like the expectation of a nice girl. But she's like, nah, I'm not going to do that because I'm a boss ass bitch. That's some editorializing on my part. But That's the vibe that you get. So after that, we cut to after school. And this is where we meet another key character named Joey. So he is super popular. He's a misogynist. He's like really conceited and vain. We find out he's an amateur actor slash model. And then we have just like a really gross moment of um, the men talking about Bianca being a virgin as she walks by. And they say, oh, virgin alert, Joey, your favorite. And um, Joey decides that he wants to take Bianca's virginity for sport. And um, that's really his leading motivation throughout the entire film. And it's just really gross and like you hate to see it. And even Cameron, um, who is like portrayed as a super nice guy, says like she's totally pure. And it's just like this gross fetishization that you see. 
And it made me think a lot about like when I was in high school and I remember my male friends would talk like that and talk about like wanting to take a girl's virginity or like being like the first one to like have sex with them, like as if it was a point of pride or something. And it's just really gross. I would um, agree that most guys in high school really suck and um, they usually don't know what they're talking about. So after this moment, we learn that Kat is actually Bianca's sister. And Michael, so this is Cameron's friend, refers to her as the shrew. A little direct-like notation, if you will, that yes, we are indeed watching a Shakespeare play. And you also get the extreme contrast between Bianca, popular pretty girl, and Kat, unpopular, you know. Outsider. Yeah, outsider, pariah. After that scene, we go to the Stratford house. This is where the girls live with their single father. And we're seeing Kat reading the bell jar. Her father comes into the room and says, Hello, Katerina, make anyone cry today? And she says, Sadly, no, but it's only 4.30. I saw this on Pinterest a lot <laughs> growing up and like Tumblr. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and it's that moment that Kat gets into Sarah Lawrence, but her dad wants her to go to UW and he's like super not okay with it. And um, like we said, he's a single dad. We find out that the mom left their family three years ago, which is a huge point of contention between Kat and Bianca and also like the two daughters and their dad. Um, the dad is an OB and he is absolutely terrified of his daughters getting pregnant. He is super strict, and he obviously had this rule that they couldn't date, but he decides to amend this after Bianca begs him, and he decides that Bianca can date, but only when Kat does. Yeah, there's a huge contrast here. If you've ever seen um, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, their dad is an OBGYN, and he's very sex positive. He, like, there's a scene where he gives his daughter, you know, contraceptives before she goes on this school trip and stuff like he's all about education and the status like you are my little girl you are my property i must overprotect yeah and i'm like you're you're a doctor you're a man of science like you should know that you know maybe abstinence only education is not the best it's just hella weird because we don't even see him talking about like their grades or like you know their social like nothing it's the conversation revolves around one thing and it's and it's disgusting dads just want to talk about one thing and it's disgusting <laughs> yeah it's just really it frustrated me a lot throughout the whole movie it's just um the stereotypical policing the body aggression towards any boyfriends a yeah. little a little overdone if you asked me so gears start turning Stuff starts happening. Things come into play. Cameron concocts a little, um, I would call it at this point in the, the movie, it's like um, a baby plan. Mm, a seedling. Yeah, a seedling of the plan. So Cameron becomes Bianca's French tutor in the hopes that, you know, becoming close to her academically, he'll be able to ask her out, which never goes well. And, you know, but he does it anyway because he's a little idiot boy and she declines because of her dad's rule. But instead of taking no for an answer, Cameron and Bianca kind of chat about it, and they figure out they need to find someone for Kat to date. 
And he gets a bunch of guys together, but literally they laugh in his face. No one wants to date her until... Enter Patrick Verona. If you can't tell, I'm smiling very big as I say his name (laughs) because um, no one is surprised he is the love of my life. So he is like a bad boy criminal type. He's a total loner. He's really mysterious and super hot, my opinion, but I think it is correct. And there are a bunch of rumors said about him throughout the entire movie, like that he lit a state trooper on fire, that he did a year in San Quentin, that he sold his own liver on the black market, he ate a live duck, that he knows Marilyn Manson, and that he slept with a Spice Girl. You just hit me with a lot. I'm absorbing that. I'm ruminating in that. (laughs) So after they figure out that this is the guy they need to get to get in there, get the job done, Michael and Cameron convince Joey to become like the, the patron of this plan. And basically they convince him by doing this, Joey will be able to date Bianca. So Joey pays Patrick to date Kat and Joey and Patrick haggle for a hot sec but they settle on $50 per date. Patrick tries asking Kat out, but he is so tactless. Um, He immediately fails, and he realizes it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, so after she immediately shoots him down, he um, then decides to try again and kind of follows her to this music store and is waiting outside her car when she leaves. And, you know, he's sitting on her. She's not into it. And he says, you're not afraid of me, are you? And she says, well, why would I be afraid of you? He said, well, maybe you're not afraid of me, but you for sure thought about me naked, which incredibly bold, I think, for anyone to say, but especially a 17-year-old boy. Like, I could not imagine that. It's pretty wild. I'm like, does no one teach, like, men how to ask someone out? I really don't understand. Like, I want you to send me an Uber. Tell me <laughs> where you're, where we're going. Well, we can't even do this now. There's an international pandemic. But I'm like, hit me with the time and the place. Like, you want me to waste my time with you? You better put in all the footwork and make sure I have a good freaking time. And, like, there's nothing wrong with a bold move. But, like, maybe let's not lead with nudity in like the first pickup line I you know? know it's so trashy like everything he's saying is so stupid yeah um so not surprisingly cat uh turns down this advance mm-hmm. and she's trying to leave the music store but joey pulls up and obnoxiously like leaves his car like blocking her in and she asks him to move and he says no so she rams her car into his as she should yeah i think completely deserved he knows what he did retweet hell yeah so she gets home from their little run-in and has an argument with her dad which is shocking that he doesn't like just absolutely have a meltdown i feel like my dad would go sicko mode on me but (laughs) she has the audacity to say stop making my my decisions for me um and they have that you know i'm your father that's my right you're 18, you don't know what you want, conversation. Yeah, the dad is like clearly giving his daughters like the death grip because his wife left him. And I guess this is like the only way he can have any control over anyone in his life, particularly the women in his life. Fully. But, you know, at the end of the day, Kat doesn't really face any consequences for this car smashing incident. You gotta love it. I think it's fun. So the next day we go back to school. Joey wants results. He wants this plan that he thinks is his to start happening. Obviously it's not. And Patrick decides to up his price to $100 a date because Kat is so 
unruly and hard to win over. And then Cameron and Michael approach Patrick and they let him know that this whole thing was their doing and they've concocted this whole plan and that they want to help him get Kat to serve Cameron's best interests. So they decide to hijack Bogie Lowenstein's wine and cheese party. Which brother? Invite me to a wine and cheese party. I don't yeah. care about the big party with all the no. people. I'm talking about that smoked brie. Can I Wait, say is this? Smoked, is smoked brie a thing? I don't think it is. Guys, I'm a vegan. I'm a vegan. Everyone cut me slack. <laughs> smoked gouda is probably what you're thinking of. Um, but yes, I would love to go to a wine, che- wine and cheese party anytime, but especially in high school, that sounds ideal. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So they like cover his flyer that he's made for, I think it's like the MBA club or something. Yeah. And they cover it with the thing that says free beer and throw it all over the school. So everyone's going to go and they tell Patrick to invite Kat to the party. So Joey invites Bianca to the party because he's clueless and thus arises the pivotal high school party scene um, that inevitably gets literally every character, every cast member um, in one place so that a lot of eventful shit can happen. Yes. But before that, we got to get Kat interested in going to this party. True. So Cameron and Bianca have like a very small little scene where they're trying to figure out how they can get Kat interested. So they actually sneak into her bedroom to find out what kind of guy that she likes. Love that. And because she has a poster of Jared Leto, they deduce that she likes pretty guys, that she doesn't like smoking. Um, Bianca goes into her underwear drawer and pulls out a pair of black panties and says like, oh, it means that she wants to have sex someday. And I remember watching this when I was 14 and being like, oh my God, like I have black underwear. Like, Does that mean that I'm trying to have sex? Which obviously I wasn't because I was 14. That's insane. And like, I did want to eventually, but I remember just being so scandalized by that and being like, oh my God, like. You like go into your bathroom, you're like burning all of your black underwear. <laughs> you're like crying. That shit. Yeah. <laughs> so after they get the poop on the robot, you get the inside deets. They go to a bar, which let's let's all just pretend reality doesn't exist for a moment and that these kids aren't minors, but they go into this like pool bar. It's like a biker bar. It's like rough. Oh, it's like smoke. It's like steamy. Like it hasn't been cleaned in ages. Like the type of bar that there was like sawdust on the floor. Clean what? Clean where? Not here. So they tell Patrick that he needs to, he's like, get your shit together. Quit smoking. They have like a, a cute little bit where he tells um, Patrick that Cat likes pretty guys and he's like, you don't think I'm pretty. I will say though, the Jared Leto thing, I'm like, he is beautiful. I do. I, yeah. I am into that. He has some cheekbones on him. Definitely. A cooler ending would be that Cat's just a lesbian, but whatever. Neither here nor there. Maybe when she goes to Sarah Lawrence. Who knows? That was a good one. That was clever. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So... All around, here's a little summary. This is her likes. Basically, it is any um, girl that I went to school with at NYU. Thai food, feminist prose, and angry girl music of the indie rock persuasion. Yeah, literally every single person that I've ever met at NYU. Yes. So they go to the club skunk. And by that, I just mean Patrick because he is utilizing his little new intel and he knows that Kat is going to be there. So even though he doesn't really want to, he hits up this club. It actually looks really dope. I think it's like 
all women in the club. Like, it's pretty mm-hmm. much the only guy there. And when I was watching this, my boyfriend said, this ratio is off the charts. Like, why wouldn't you want to be there? But then when I was talking about this with Christina, she was like, you know, Mo, I think it, it might just be like a lesbian bar. And I was like... Most definitely. (laughs) So yeah, she's at this concert at Club Skunk and the band Letters to Cleo is playing and um, their music is actually featured quite a bit throughout the soundtrack Mm -hmm. of the entire movie. So it's like nice to have that little consistent musical through line. Patrick impresses Kat with all of his like indie angry girl music knowledge that he has recently acquired and the fact that he quit smoking. So then he asks her to Bogie's party and she kind of just like says something and walks away and he's like, is that a yes? And she says no. And he's like, well, then is that a no? And she says no. And I remember like watching this as a teen. I was like, oh my gosh, like I I so wish that I could be that witty and like cool and aloof around a guy that I could just like pull that out of my back pocket and be so sure of myself. Like a little tete-a-tete. A little back and forth, little tennis match, if you will. I feel like I used to be so good at like flirting and like pickup lines. And now that I've been in a relationship for so long, I'm like, if I like saw someone, I'd be like, like, (laughs) like, cuckoo, caca. I'm a baby. I don't know how to flirt. flirt. (laughs) Literally, it's just like brain dead. You're just rusty, you know? It's like riding a bike. You just got to practice on film. Yeah, I have to tell just, like, him, like, flirt with him. like go go somewhere. I'm, I happen to run into you, and we pretend like we don't oh, know yeah. each other. Yeah, do the sexy stranger game. Yeah. I wear, like, a wig. Phil, if you're listening. Oh, my God. Please orchestrate the sexy stranger game. It's like, meet me at this location. Here are the coordinates. <laughs> the joke is that my boyfriend's listening to this podcast because he's not... <laughs> But anyways, they go to another shot of um the Stratford home before the party scene because this dad, literally, I thought that he was going to be like, you can't go to school without a chastity belt on. Unreal. Bianca tries to go to this party and she says to her dad, you know, it's just a party. And he does have a good little line, a little comeback. I think it's hilarious. He said, and hell is just a sauna. Yeah, say what you say what you will about him, but the, the Stratford family does have a quick quick. They have a quick wit, yes. Um, Bianca begs, and Kat finally decides to go so that she can go. But before they leave, Bianca has to wear, guys, the belly. The belly. Like a pregnant lady over the shoulder. We're talking about engorged, (laughs) milk-studded breasts. (laughs) Literally. Oh my gosh, I was about to make a joke, but I can't. (laughs) We cannot stress enough just how awful this thing is. Like a stomach packed with cement, just like overflowing. It's truly traumatizing. I don't know what I would do if my father made me wear that. I'm traumatized for her. And this this actress actually ends up um, having like a pretty small arc on Pretty Little Liars. And I think that she's like, spoiler alert, Ezra's baby daddy, or not baby daddy, baby mama. (laughs) And um, I saw like a thing on Tumblr when it came out that was like, oh, I guess Bianca didn't listen to her dad and it was like a picture of her in this belly i love how you said spoiler alert meanwhile that show's been canceled for like 10 years you know you never know people are binging all kinds of stuff right now that's so true gotta cover my bases so after this well actually no during this patrick comes Mm -hmm. and picks up cat and sees this 
belly monstrosity and says, who knocked up your sister? Funny little comment thrown in there. Everyone's witty in this. People are just witty. Like, actually, I think that the writing in this is so strong. Like, while I was taking notes, I had to stop myself from writing down basically, like, every other line in the movie because there's so many just, like, really great quotable moments. That's how I felt about Bring It On. I was constantly just writing quotes. Yeah. I was like, I'm not trying to transcribe this whole movie right now, but that's basically what I'm doing. Yeah. So after that, we cut to Cameron and Michael who are getting ready for the party. And Cameron is like kind of talking about a few interactions that he's had with Bianca. And like this poor, poor baby is just like living off of love kernels. Like if you guys have not seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, go listen to the song Love Kernels and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It is rough. And um, Michael also talks about how he's never been to a real party before. And he's like, should I wear a tie or not? And it's just like a nice, cute little moment of seeing these two boys like talk about a little bit about like their feelings and their insecurities. And it's just like a nice little bonding moment. Yeah, we get a little dudes rock moment. I was like, this is a nice little imaginary piece of like film footage that makes us think guys in high school have souls because uh I don't really believe that, but maybe, maybe they do. Yeah, this scene actually kind of reminded me of um, when I was in high school, we had this term, and I assume it was a thing at other high schools, not just mine, but it was called a DMC, which stood for a deep, meaningful conversation, um, because for some reason we had to differentiate between a regular conversation in a moment where we talked about our feelings. And, um, like if you had a DMC with a guy that you liked, it was kind of like, whoa, like things are going to the next level because people didn't like go on dates unless they were exclusive in a relationship. And then I got to college where every single conversation is a DMC because all my friends are actors. Never go to theater school. I'm like, can I get a regular conversation? You know? Yeah. Let's talk about hit me with it. Soda. Let's talk about fucking diet. Zero sugar. How do you feel about LaCroix? Let's talk about it. Sparkling seltzer. Okay. Spiked (laughs) seltzer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I'm like, I used to be so desperate for like a little emotional vulnerability. And then by the time I finished college, I was like, I would enjoy it so much. Our degree is like literally just in emotional intelligence and being aware of our feelings at all times. Yeah. What do you would think would be easier to translate like on a resume? It's not. These <laughs> yeah. skills aren't applicable to anything else. Like, why do you think you would be good for this customer service job? Well, um, I can cry really easily. Just on the snap of a finger. Give me one wrong look. And destroy it. <laughs> Yeah, let's get in. Let's head into the party scene. Oh yeah, I remember some going to some high school parties, mostly my senior year, because I decided to stop being a shut in. But this party is honestly kind of insane. There are a lot of people, a lot, a lot, because the house is gigantic. Yeah, Joey decides to flirt with Bianca in front of Cat just to be a big, huge douchebag and get under her skin. And he loves messing with Kat for some reason. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Kat is incredibly pissed off by this. And she decides, like any rational human being, that the correct way to deal with that is to get trashed. I've been there, girl. I I get it. I understand it. So meanwhile, Cameron arrives to the party and he sees 
Bianca with Joey, and he realizes that basically Bianca manipulated him into orchestrating this whole like grand plan so she could date Joey and not him. And this poor baby is absolutely heart- heartbroken. Like his face. The dimples are no more. I know. His face is just completely fallen and you hate to see it. Meanwhile, Bianca goes off with Joey. You can tell she feels kind of bad about it, but she like did all this stuff to get here. So I guess she's going to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And the more time that she spends with him, she just realized that he's so self-absorbed and like boring and just like not the kind of guy that she wants to date at all. And then Cameron goes up to Patrick and he's like, I'm calling off the whole thing. Like she doesn't want me like it's done. You don't have to like try and date Kat anymore. But Patrick gives him a great little pep talk. I love that. And he says, yeah, he says, don't let anyone ever make you feel like you don't deserve what you want. And I remember like seeing this quote everywhere on Tumblr when I was in high school. It's like a nice little precursor to the perks of being a wallflower. We accept accept love we think we deserve, like that whole thing. I love that that like got to you because I'm so cynical. I like (laughs) hated that perks of being a wallflower quote. I remember just people mouthing it off constantly, and I was like, mm-hmm. the only dates we've ever been on are, like, our moms, like, driving us to, like, IHOP me, like, okay, I'll get you in an <laughs> hour. Like, what do we know about love? <laughs> Next to nothing, yeah. So, meanwhile, Kat succeeded. She's freaking wasted. She decides to get up on a table and just go off, pop TF off, and um, she's dancing to some biggie honestly commendable in my opinion the moves are good it's not anything disputable and she rocks a lot of like subtly hot outfits in this too oh yeah like girl has a look like she's going for it but unfortunately she hits her head in the chandelier so patrick brings her outside gets some air we see he's genuinely concerned about her safety and they actually have a really sweet moment you can tell that something's starting to happen with this like convoluted plan of theirs and right before um the scene ends though she does throw up all over his shoes so after that patrick drives cat home and they have they have a little dmc of their own (laughs) he talks about being thought of as scary and you know cat says that her dad wants her to be more like bianca you know be like very satisfying to people and pleasing and all of that, those lovely womanly features that just make you a big freaking pushover. So he says, I know everyone digs your sister, but she's without. But from Heath Ledger, like what oh else God. can you ask for? So Kat starts to actually really like him and she actually goes in for a kiss and he does not kiss her back. He says, maybe another time, which surprised the crap out of me. But now he's doing like a little like reverse psychology maneuver. Like, oh, now you want me now? Mm, back it up. Yeah, I think I think it like is a nice little nuance to his character because like, you know, there are multiple reasons that he could have said no. It could have been like because she was, you know, pretty fucking wasted earlier yes. or because like she is somebody he is paid to take on a date. Or it could be because he's actually really starting to like her. And I think it's a little bit of a combination of all three. 
And, you know, I think this is where you start to see the contrast between somebody like Patrick and somebody like Joey, where like Patrick is like a masculine dude, but he's not trying to be where someone was like, Joey is like so performative about it. And like hyper masculine. Yeah. And has like such a sense of like ownership over women. It's just like disgusting. Whereas Patrick doesn't treat women like objects. Um, So meanwhile, Bianca gets a ride home from Cameron. She is no longer interested in Joey. And he actually confronts her about leading him on and calls her selfish. And he says, just because you're beautiful doesn't mean you can treat people like they don't matter. Another quote you saw all over Tumblr. And um, on the one hand, you're like really proud of him for standing up for himself because, you know, she did totally use him. But as he continues talking, it does like kind of start to teeter a little bit into nice guys finish last territory where he's like, I did this for you. Like I learned French for you, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know. Just because you put niceness coins into a woman does not mean that sex suddenly falls out. That was really, really good. Did you just come up with that? <laughs> no, I didn't. It's not an original thought. It's like a tweet that I've seen before. Okay, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's actually, it reminds me of a thing that my freshman year roommate used to say, which was like, the friend zone is not like you pay the boatman two gold coins and he like takes you up the river and out of the friend zone. <laughs> that's so true. I absolutely hate just like hanging out oh my god sorry i'm like now i'm having like a rainbow of like moments Mm. flashing in my head of like me being like oh now we're like good friends or like we maybe are hanging out romantically but i'm like i don't want to touch you like please get away get away from me yeah sometimes it's just not there and like somebody could be super nice to you and do all these things and it's just not there and that's not your fault and you shouldn't have to apologize for it and anybody who says like oh this person doesn't like me because I'm too nice, blah, 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 you're probably not actually that nice because clearly you have ulterior motives. Yeah. Also, yeah. just like super, super side note, my favorite thing, and by favorite, I mean I hated this, in college when a guy would be like, oh, like, come over. Like, oh, you mm-hmm. want to hang out? Come over. I'm like, no. Yeah. No. It's like meeting. Like, just a little more effort. Like, meet me at a bar maybe at least. I don't want to go to your gross house that doesn't have normal furniture because you're in college and it smells like sweat. Or even worse, I don't want to go to your gross dorm and your, like, twin bed while your roommate's there. Like, no, thank you. Dig in. Dig in, Extina. <laughs> but... Despite all of this, Bianca does actually say, you know, I was selfish and she apologizes and she actually kisses him. So like, I guess it's okay. And like, she does actually like him. So luckily for sweet JGL, he is still good and not in the nice guys finish last category. Yeah, I think he does well for himself. I think she needed to hear, she needed a little shock to her system because she is really full of herself for a lot of the movie. But it's the day after... They're in English class. They're actually studying Sonnet 141, and Kat is genuinely excited. They get a little assignment to rewrite this sonnet in their own words. And if you don't know about Sonnet 141, it is about Shakespeare like falling in love with this person, and they're just in love with like all five of their senses. Um, oh my god, I keep saying that. It's the opposite. They are not in love. <laughs> It's literally this person is repulsive in all five senses, <laughs> but for whatever reason, Shakespeare just is mag- magnetically attracted and they can't like stop thinking about this person. So 
The next scene we have is actually another little Shakespeare moment where Michael approaches Kat's friend to get intel about Kat's feelings towards Patrick. And she's like a total Shakespeare nerd. Like her locker is covered with pictures of him. And when Michael approaches her and says something like, oh, you like Shakespeare? And she's like, like, we're involved. And I was like, wow, that is the most me thing that I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> and low-key, like, Michael is into her and he, like, quotes Macbeth to impress her. And she's into it, too. But he gets the deets and then reports back to Patrick and Cameron that Cat quote, hates Patrick with the fire of a thousand suns. Been there. I don't think I've said those words, but yeah. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not so, like, explicitly, but the sentiment I felt. I want to know Chekhov well enough to just fire off Chekhov quotes. I mean, I do know some quotes, but... When you, when you said that, the first quote that came to my mind was one of the lines that I said when I was in The Seagull, which is where my character, who's just, like, this super sad, depressing, like, desperate character, and she says... Our lives are almost over. I was thinking, like, Masha, why are you always wearing black? Like, I'm in mourning for my life. I'm like, I would, I want that quote, like, tattooed on my body. I'm just in yeah. mourning for my life. Like, how depressing. Say what you will about Chekhov, but dude knows how to open a play. That is the opening line of the seagull. I'm in mourning for my life for the, with the one you said. Oh, wait, I'm thinking of three sisters. Her name is also Masha. In, in the seagull there's also a masha in the seagull oh yeah, yeah you're right and um the guy who's into her says like why are you always wearing black and she says because i'm in mourning for my life and that's the opening line the seagull is such a sad play anyways back on the football field um joey tells bianca that he is taking her to prom she is not into it but he, he's telling her he's not asking her I don't know if he's just like brain dead or what the situation is, but he really is thinking that he's taking Bianca to prom. So he offers Patrick money so that he can take Kat to prom. And he actually turns him down because I think he's starting to form real feelings and he probably feels like a piece of shit. But when Joey offers him more money, he does take the deal. Um, you can tell he's still conflicted, but... What are you going to, like, when you're in high school and someone offers you hundreds of dollars, it's hard to make a morally right decision. So at this point, Kat is still not giving Patrick the time of day. After the party, she's, like, super upset that he didn't kiss her and kind of just she feels like he let her on. He actually approaches her a couple of times, but she's still just not talking to him. So the boys know that Patrick needs to make a big grand gesture. And Michael says, quote unquote, sweet love, renew thy force, which is a direct quote from Sonnet 56. So Patrick decides to hijack the sound booth on the um, football field and he starts singing can't Take My Eyes Off You by Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons over the loudspeaker to Kat, who's on the field. And the marching band starts playing along, and he does this, like, whole big song and dance on, like, the bleachers of the stadium. And she's, like, laughing and is genuinely, like, impressed. And, um, oh my gosh, I, like, can't even express how much I love this scene. I think that Heath Ledger is so charming and adorable and his smile is so infectious and he does do this like song with such humor but also sincerity and i think it's just like a really really great acting moment and storytelling moment 
And then the security guards start to chase him and he's like running away and like joking around. But ultimately he does get caught. But yeah, I just love this scene. It was definitely like 14 year old me's sexual awakening. Yeah, I want to I want a big grand gesture. I want some freaking I want something that'll get someone in trouble. You know? <laughs> yeah, you gotta have a little bit of risk. This is what ma- would make me hot and heavy. Someone goes to an Amazon warehouse and mm. um, they just to the ground. burn it arson. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. workers are there, but for some reason, Jeff Bezos is there. And it's, uh, it's just burnt down. Who knows? I'm kidding. I'm kidding, NSA. We're, we're joking. We're joking. We're joking. We promise. It's a podcast. It's a comedy yeah. podcast. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is fine. The robot that's pretending to be Jeff Bezos is fine. <laughs> the robot that is wearing the skin suit of Jeff Bezos is doing A-OK. He's safe. He's, he's charging up for tomorrow. Yeah. Right. So after you do <laughs> shit like that in high school, you know, you get detention. So little Patrick is just, what what's it called? Just knocking his metal mug against the jail bars of detention. <laughs> and a cat comes into the room to break him out. She gets the attention of the teacher that's in charge of detention. And she's like, I have this soccer strategy. We're going to win against the school. And he's like, what are you talking about? What strategy? And she spouts a bunch of BS and then flashes the teacher so that Patrick can slip out the window. Very classic, raunchy 90s move moment. Um, Really clearly pre-Weinstein. It wouldn't really fly now. She faces no consequences for this either. Everyone just kind of like laughs and high fives her and she walks out. And I'm like, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't do, do that. You can't get naked in school. There are a lot of things I like about this movie. I will say, Kat gets away with some shit. Smashing yeah. the car, flashing the teacher. The woman knows no bounds. I mean, you, you gotta commend it, I guess. She's really taken life by the horns. So after Patrick sneaks out of detention, they meet up and we have this like cute little date montage where they go paddle boating and they talk and they go play paintball, but it's not like paintball with the guns. It's just where you have like paint balloons and like smash them on each other. And TBH looks way more fun than paintball with guns. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Your opinion's right. Yeah. As, as per usual, my opinion is correct. And they have these, like, sweet little bonding moments. They also have their first kiss. And after that, we cut to the front porch of the Stratford house. And we see them talking. And, like, they're kind of just dispelling rumors about each other. And, you know, they have an intimate conversation about their feelings for one another. And um, he asks her to prom. But she says no because she's, like, anti-establishment. Like, fuck that. I'm not going to the prom. And um, he keeps pressing her and she's like suspicious of his motives. And when she's like, well, what's in it for you? Like, why are you pushing this? Because she's like on the verge of finding out that, you know, there's a monetary motivation. And he gets really defensive. He says she needs therapy. He says that there's nothing in it for him, but the pleasure of her company. And then he pulls out a cigarette and Kat like rips it out of his hand, throws it on the ground and storms off. The plot thickens. So Bianca is now fully into Cameron, and she really wants him to ask her to prom, Um, but she says this in fluent French during their tutoring session. So she's come a really long way. I think that this, like, show that she, like, learned French, like, 
um, she doesn't need a tutor anymore is kind of like reflective of her growth as a character. She's not as dumb as everyone makes her out to be. She's actually pretty insightful and smart, but like any sophomore, she's young and inexperienced and easily influenced. That's completely normal. She kind of just needed like some time to bloom. So Bianca asked to go to the prom with Cameron, but despite her character growth that we all can see, her dad is still being absolutely insane and says that she still has to get Kat to go if she wants to go to the prom. At this point, I'm kind of like getting tired of the antics. I'm like, we get it. You don't want your daughter to do anything. Yeah, it's just kind of frustrating because it's not even just like a control over their sexuality, but like a control over every aspect of their social life. Yeah. They can't do anything. They can't go anywhere. Like her dad even gets mad that Bianca got like a ride home from a boy. I'm like, get a grip, man. Find a hobby. Yeah. So next we have a little scene between Kat and Bianca and Kat actually tells Bianca that she in fact dated Joey in the ninth grade and that she lost her virginity to him after their mom left and when she didn't want to have sex again, Joey dumped her and it was then that she swore that she wouldn't do anything ever again just because everybody else was. And this gives us huge insight into why Kat is so guarded and like why she doesn't pursue relationships or open up to people. And it makes a lot of sense because she went through like a pretty decent amount of trauma at a really young age in a really short period of time. And honestly, I feel like she came out of it the best that she possibly could. I agree. She doesn't like go and seek validation from men, which I feel like a lot of people do when they have like sexual experiences so early that don't go well and aren't healthy. Yeah, I think that her ability to, like, bounce back from something super traumatic happening to her is, like, a testament to her character. Yes. So, Bianca wants to be able to experience her own successes and failures, and she feels robbed that someone was always guarding what she couldn't, couldn't do. So even though we learn kind of, like, why Kat is the way she is, I think it's also important to, like, acknowledge Bianca was like then screwed over by Kat deciding to be so like opposite of whatever um, she was doing before that experience like becoming a pride becoming this outsider and like being like I'm only living for myself kind of made Bianca feel like she didn't have any room to make decisions that deviated from Kat's decisions because Kat was doing basically what her dad wanted them to do like completely avoid these social experiences. So it is kind of sad that Bianca didn't get to figure out her own life. But in the end, Kat decides to go to prom for her sister's sake, which I think is really nice. Bianca goes to the prom with Cameron. He comes to pick her up. He's super smitten, also looking super dapper. Um, we get to the prom and Michael actually dresses up in full like Shakespearean period costume and he goes with Kat's friend, the Shakespeare nerd. So it's like nice to see that he gets a little like happy ending that's wrapped up nice at the end of the movie. A little side plot. Then we cut to Kat and Patrick and she apologizes for questioning Patrick's motives. They reconcile, they have fun, they dance. Patrick surprises Kat by getting letters to Cleo to play at prom, which is, it's pretty cool. Like, that they even have live music. That's cool to me. 
Yeah, they had two different bands playing at their prom. That's insane. And you get to see like nice moments between Kat and Patrick. And he actually reveals because there's a rumor throughout the movie that like about why he was missing from school for the past year. Yeah. And he actually says that it's because he was taking care of his like sick grandfather in Florida. So like that's a huge testament to his character that he took a whole year away from school to like go and be with a sick family member. So meanwhile, everyone's like having fun, dancing, doing well, and Bianca goes to the bathroom to freshen up and she runs into her best friend, quote unquote, best friend, Chastity, who has actually gone to the prom with Joey. Yeah. And she tells Bianca that Joey had a bet going with his friends on like who was going to take her virginity. So even though Chastity is like pretty mean throughout this whole movie and like She's not a good friend to Bianca at all. Like, you you still feel bad for her because, like, she still doesn't deserve to be used. And, like, she's clearly being manipulated by Joey. And, like, it sucks. She's just, like, not quite as enlightened as Bianca is at this point in the movie. After their bathroom encounter, we cut back to the little prom scene area everyone's having a fun time they're getting along they're dancing and joey comes out the cut pissed he is so upset about cameron taking bianca even though he's there with someone else and he pulls patrick aside and just tells him off because he didn't get what he wanted even though patrick never had anything to do with him dating Bianca. He was just supposed to take care of Kat, really. But obviously Kat overhears him yelling. Yeah, Joey is fucked the fuck up and he calls Bianca a bitch. He punches Cameron in the face and Bianca has had it and she finally really stands up for herself and she actually punches Joey in the face. She punches him once for making her date bleed, once for Kat, and then she knees him in the balls for her. It was pretty badass. I appreciated it. I personally never had an opportunity to do that to a guy, which I guess is kind of good because I feel like I'd only do that in an extreme situation, but it could be really cathartic for me. Anyways, so after they have this falling out, Kat and Patrick have their own argument. Kat yells at Patrick because obviously she's hurt. This girl literally made herself an outsider so she could protect herself from all of this bullshit. And the moment she like opens herself up to someone, he completely ruins her trust. He tries to say that he didn't care about the money and that he cares about her, which I do believe, but he's like completely misguided at this point. And he tries kissing her. Obviously it doesn't work and she runs out. Yeah, so the next morning, um, Kat is sitting on the front porch of um, their house, and Bianca comes over and actually thanks her for uh, letting her go to prom. And they just have a really nice moment. She even asks her if she wants to go sailing with her and Cameron, but Kat says no. Yeah, she's having a very like internal reflection moment after Bianca and Kat talk. Her dad comes out, and they have a really genuine nice moment. And he does admit that he trusts her and her decision making, but he does have that like proclivity to just hang on to wanting to like continue to raise his daughters, even though they're full adults. And he says that he's sent in a check to Sarah Lawrence and that he's letting her go, which is like a nice little full circle moment. The dad who literally doesn't want his children to go outside now lets her 
lets his daughter go to an out-of-state school. Yeah, it's nice to see him have, like, some sort of redemptive arc. Yeah. And, like, especially after every other character, except for Joey, has, like, grown through the course of this movie. So it's good to see at least he has a little bit, too. So the next day, we're back at school. We're in English class. And it is finally time for all the students to read their sonnet assignments. Much awaited. Kat is the first to volunteer. And she gets up to read her sonnet in front of the class. And um, because we are trained actors. Classically trained. Yep. Ex- experimentally trained. <laughs> I'm a really physical actor. So I know you'll hear my voice, but I'll I'll be doing it all physically. I'll be performing a, an interpretive dance. Yeah, we are going to do a dramatic reading of Kat's sonnet. So let me just... Get into character real quick. Do a little bit of... Oh, yeah, some <clears throat> vocal work. Vocal warm Red leather, yellow leather. My vo- mm-hmm. I have, like, the worst um, vocal fry right now. It's insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every time I'm editing this podcast, I'm like, why do I only speak in vocal fry? I'm like, I'm a frog. A frog, <laughs> a toad. But without further ado, shall, shall we begin? Let's jump right into it. I hate the way you talk to me. And the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. Mm. Wow. Powerful. Applause to you. Very, very quiet, tiny applause to you. Beautiful work, um, Miss Miss Schmidt. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, So when we were reading about this movie, we found out that they actually only ever did one take of this. Yeah. And um, that Julia Stiles' tears weren't scripted. It just kind of came to her in the moment. Yeah, it's super tear-jerking. And... um, it's a really big moment for her because she's being incredibly vulnerable. I think what surprises me most is like she finds out what he did to her, but she still decides to make her feelings like known. And she's like, I'm not just going to completely erase everything that happened between us. Yeah. And it's it's really, I think, inspiring to see her be so vulnerable, not only in front of him, but like in front of her entire class and we know that she doesn't really have high regard for her peers or, you know, really want to let them into her emotional life in any way. But it's just really cool to see her kind of bearing it all. And this scene always makes me cry every time I watch it. I think the only reason it didn't make me cry this time is because I was taking notes, but it still gave me like full body goosebumps. Yeah, you were doing um, an analytical watching of the movie. Yeah, a little bit more removed than, than when I usually watch it. Mm-hmm. I was having an Um, incredibly emotionally charged watch of the movie. So after this happens, you know, Kat is very emotional and she walks out of class and we actually get a shot of Patrick and you can see that like it really landed on him and like struck a chord with him. So it's after school and Kat is going to her car and she finds a Fender Strat sitting in her front seat and she's been eyeing this guitar like the whole movie. And then Patrick shows up behind her and he tells her that he used all of the money that Joey gave him to buy it for her. And he tells her that he fell for her and he kisses her. Beautiful kiss. Just very passionate. 
everything we've been waiting for. We At this point, we just, you know, we want, we root for them. We're rooting for this couple. But she does stick to her feminist guns, and she says, you can't buy me a guitar every time you screw up, you know. And he says, yeah, I know, but then, you know, there's always drums and bass and maybe even a tambourine, which, disputably, a guy will never give you a freaking gift <laughs> to make up for something. That's never happened to me. Like, I think we're too young. Maybe when we're older, like, my husband makes me angry and he buys me a car. That's the dream, I think. I feel like the best gift I've gotten was, like, an apology for bad behavior, but always, like, a year later. Like, I'll receive, like, a surprise oh text or a surprise Brother, DM. okay. We're introducing a new and highly important term here. Snake holing. Okay? Yes. This is when you get freaking ghosted and they just they snake their way like a, a, um, a drain snake back into your life. Mm-hmm. And they just pick up, pick up all that hair that you left in the drain. And they're like, I'm back. Hey, remember me? All the hair you left in your drain. It's like that that sound on TikTok, which I assume is from some reality show, where she's like, hey, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? And like nobody responds. That's what that text is like. Exactly. But we close out. We get that shot. We get the kiss. I want you to want me plays. Letters to Cleo is on the roof of the school. How did they, How do they even get there? We don't know. But all is well. Yeah. Apparently that shot cost them like $50,000 every time they did it because um, they had to use a helicopter. They didn't have drone cameras back then. Now every 10-year-old has a drone camera. Yeah. So what are your final thoughts on this movie? How'd you like it? I really loved this movie. And I feel like this is going to sound dumb as hell, but like I just feel, (laughs) I feel like I learned from it. Like I genuinely was like, I would want to show this to my future spawn because I think that there are a lot of elements that I want my kids to know about. Like, I would want them to know that they don't have to do things that they don't want to do, but it's also, like, important to be open to new experiences. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that this movie has aged incredibly well. Um, You could remake it now, and because the writing is so good, I really don't think you'd have to change the script that much. And one thing that I really like about it, because, you know, there were a lot of films like this in the 90s where there's a bet to try and date somebody who's like unpopular or like a pariah or something like She's All That, which I believe came out in the same year. And um, where this movie succeeds, where those fail is that Kat actually doesn't really change who she is. She kind of like stays herself the whole movie. She just like opens herself up to new characteristics and like lets other people see these other facets of her personality that were always there. Definitely. There's also that like daddy's little girl complex where we get like a hyper helicopter parent and uh, they just like police the shit out of their daughter, which I think is important to, it's important if you can like reflect and be like, that is me. Like I need to halt, like I need to stop because the way that he completely alienates his children is insane and obviously they hyped it up because it's a movie but i think that it's still important to be like "Mm, not not right that's not the answer yeah like when i used to watch this movie uh when i was in high school i feel like it made me like want to be more sure of myself like i definitely looked up to cat's character a lot because you know i was like pretty shy outside of like my friend group and like 
I still, you know, have a hard time like standing up for myself and like knowing what I deserve. And I think it's like really great to see this character who is so young, like be so sure of herself. Yeah, totally. I feel like I could have internalized some of the lessons that she learned in high school. I wasn't really shy, but I was just like very angry, (laughs) super angry most of the time. So I think that I could have like learned to be a little more open to new experiences and open to like, I don't know, just not having to be what's I don't want to say angry all the time, but just like not having to be so tense about things like learning to let loose. Mm. Yeah. Shall we give it a rating? Hell yeah. I think I would give this movie an overall rating of 8.5. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I did enjoy it more than Bring It On. I think the writing is just a little bit smarter. Definitely. And I like that it's not like, it's not super comedy heavy. Like it's funny, but it's mostly just a lot of like really smart and witty like one-liners, which I think is just more my preference of comedy. Mm -hmm. It definitely relies more on like, well, I mean, it's a Shakespeare play Mm -hmm. but it does rely more on plot and like dialogue to move it along instead of um kind of like more slapstick comedy yeah yeah so um thanks so much for listening you guys uh don't forget to rate review and subscribe yes please please rate review it's so important that's how other people see our podcast that's how you get the little like ooh recommended for you Um, We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. And if you're not listening on one of those sites, hey, we are, we're still sticking with you. We are wherever you are. You can rate it, tell your friends to rate it, call your ex and have them rate it. No, no. Maybe don't call them. Don't tell them that. Yeah. Guys, put down the phone. Unless you really want to, but... Just, like, take a moment and think about it before mm-hmm. you do. Maybe sleep on it, honestly. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. We are Movies That Raised Us. You can follow us on Twitter. We are MTRU underscore pod. Yeah, we have a lot of, like, fun episode-themed content that we put out. And if you've gotten this far in the podcast, send us a little DM, and we'll send you back a little compliment. Yeah, we can have a little tete-a-tete in our DMs. Thank you so much for listening to Movies That Raised Us. We are Mo and Christina, and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye!